Welcome to the third and last segment of this week's lectures on our introductory topic, Worldviews and Foundational Issues in Integration. In this lesson, we will focus specifically about the impact of worldviews in the practice of Christian counseling. Scientist Emmett Brook once commented that modern science stands on Christian shoulders. What do you think he meant by this? He's pointing out that many foundational assumptions on which science stands that enables empirical research is based on Christian beliefs. As the slide indicates, the foundational assumptions of the uniformity of nature and the fact that there are predictable natural laws, such as the law of gravity, shows that we are part of an orderly creation. These are assumptions that science takes for granted, but which come from Christian theological teaching and are necessary in order to do research. In particular, the view of human beings and our role in the created order in which science is founded comes from biblical teaching, just as the idea that humans are capable of knowing and understanding and grasping the truth grows out of the biblical teaching that we are created in the image of God. The idea that human beings might study or master the idea of created order is directly related to God's command in the book of Genesis that human beings were to have dominion over all the earth. For scientists, there is a motive in the work that they do, beyond simply the joy of the work itself. For those who are believers, the world of science is to glorify God as the work of all Christians. For those who have more humanistic motivations, they can embrace the biblical value of relieving suffering in their work. Lastly, Brooke points out that science was justified based upon natural law apologetics. He's saying that the accuracy of science was justified by the predictability of nature by the mind of God, which is apparent in the created order. From the very beginning then, the trueness of scientific claims were based upon theological arguments. So what makes someone a Christian counselor? Listed on the slide are some questions people often ask about the practice of Christian counseling and what characterizes a Christian counselor as opposed to a secular counselor. For instance, is it a distinctive worldview that makes someone a Christian counselor? Do Christians engage in specific practices or work with particular sorts of clients? Do Christian counselors only use the Bible or do they emphasize psychology, theology, and spirituality in some combined order? How are Christian counselors different from those who call themselves spiritual counselors? The idea of spiritual counseling is a growing movement in our time where there are those who do provide professional counseling services with great attention to the spiritual life but are not necessarily Christian. Here are some points to consider to help see the differences between secular counseling and Christian counseling. I like what theologian Harry Blamires points out when he says that those who do Christian counseling think in a Christianly way as opposed to thinking in a secular way. By this he's pointing to the fact 
that secular counseling is based on a here and now perspective with the goals for clients related to the present relief of suffering and to help them adapt to their earthly lives. But Christianly thinking by counselors shows a much greater concern for the eternal well-being of, of an individual and for God's eternal purposes for that person. Christian counseling is a way of approaching the healing and support of individuals in their change and transformation that rely upon distinctive starting points and sources of authority. The starting point for a Christian counselor is faith. Faith in God, as articulated in the Bible, which is our ultimate source of authority, has the revelation of God. Christian counselors are those who have an awareness of sin and the ability to name behavior that is sinful to help clients become aware of the part that sin plays in their lives. Remember the good news that Christian counselors are also devoted to the proposition of a redemptive worldview as one way to deal with sin. Christian counselors believe that every person we see as a client is a person who can be redeemed, whom God loves, and for whom Christ died. Christian counselors see their work as a calling, a ministry that is more than a job or a profession. Christian counselors are also aware of their own limitations, of their own sinfulness, and of their need for guidance by the Holy Spirit. Christian counselors understand that lifestyle commitments are involved in the ministry of counseling, and that personal integration is as important as techniques or professional practices within the counseling room. Let's take a few moments and focus specifically on a biblical worldview of counseling. J. Adams coined the term nuthetic to speak about the type of counseling that is based strictly on the Bible as a resource for guidance and healing and transformation. What then are some of the key assumptions that the Bible provides for Christian counseling? Well first off, Christian counselors who are using the Bible as their primary source of authority understand that God is sovereign. This is good news, to know that there are no problems that anyone may encounter that falls beyond the power of God to heal, or how much God cares about people's hurting and suffering. Next, the primacy and sufficiency of God's Word are very key principles in the biblical worldview of counseling. It is true that we gain many useful insights from psychology and that psychological theories provide a construct which can be very useful in helping clients to change and in alleviating suffering. However, it is God's Word that remains our primary authority. And where there seems to be a conflict, God's Word must become the lens in which we filter other information that we receive from the created order, from experimentation, from our own reasoning abilities, or even our own personal experience. A biblical worldview sees human beings in a particular way. On the slide you should notice that we've used the term two-pronged anthropology. This is a term that points to the fact that the Bible portrays human beings as created in the image of God. 
those who have a special place in the created order and as those who are a little lower than the angels, but also as those who are fallen, who are the children of Adam and Eve. When scripture reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we are using a two-pronged anthropology. The good news, however, is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, as the Gospel of John declares. Christian counselors using a biblical worldview can understand that when we counsel in the name of Christ, it is the Holy Spirit in us that is speaking and working, and that we are not alone. Nor is real change or transformation in the counseling process simply the product of one human being helping another human being, but is the Holy Spirit who is working in our words and actions to bring about change. Christian counseling is also an extension of the work of the body of Christ. Paul offers that wonderful metaphor in his writings of the church, being like a living body in which there are many gifts and many callings and many ministries. Christian counseling is one of those callings. It is important that Christian counselors never see themselves as lone rangers or as isolated individuals simply doing their work, but to understand that each one of us is part of the body of Christ, doing the work of Christ through our Christian counseling ministry. An uncommon term from theology that makes itself evident in counseling is soteriological which is having to do with salvation and with redemption. Christian counseling is a redemptive process that involves reconciliation with God and others and self and redemption through Christ. Lastly, a biblical worldview of counseling is pneumatological, which is understanding that the Holy Spirit is at work through us and guides us through our counseling healing individuals through our ministry. We are counselors who are guided by the counselor. Let's focus now for a few minutes on a psychological worldview of counseling and the kinds of philosophical assumptions that underlie the practice of psychology. Psychology is a naturalistic science that uses a naturalistic methodology, meaning simply that psychology is limited to the observable, to the created order, to parameters of nature. Psychology does not engage in guesswork about the unseen spirit of God or about other spiritual matters. Its methodology is limited to the observable and measurable. Now much of the self-limiting to a naturalistic methodology is based upon the secular philosophy of psychology. It is a secular philosophy in that many of the ideas of the original writers simply rejected spiritual matters as a legitimate dynamic in the psychology of persons. A psychological worldview is also deterministic. This means that psychology assumes a cause and effect pattern in human experience. For example, if a person is depressed, proper treatment would be to fully observe the symptoms and the state of affairs of the client to gauge its effect. Then try to determine the cause. 
and then seek the best therapy to alleviate the symptoms. The reason for being depressed can be many, but whatever the reason, there is an assumption that there is a cause and effect pattern that we can observe, diagnose, and treat. A psychological worldview is also characterized by positivism. This means that psychological research and practice is limited to the objective and empirical data, and that factors that cannot be measured or described through the scientific method are simply dismissed as unimportant in the psychological practice. There are also assumptions within modern psychology regarding human nature that would be characterized as humanistic or biocentric, which is a view of human nature that is quite different from the biblical view. Humanistic anthropology is the view that humans are basically good, that people at the worst are blank slates when they are born and then are the accumulation of the experience of their lives. So when people develop problems, it has to do with an accumulation of negative influences across the course of a lifetime. Humanism considers individuals as being the highest good our society produces, and that people are influenced towards the good or the bad based on their individual happiness. Lastly, there is a tendency in a psychological worldview to analyze, to categorize, and to specialize, breaking down every phenomenon into its component parts rather than to approach the needs of clients in a more holistic fashion. To finish up, let's examine a comparative typology of key terms that can be used as a visual aid in comparing the terminology that you might find in theology and psychology and how it points to important distinctions in both worldviews. For example, theology can be described as a theocentric worldview. Now this term simply means that those who are approaching life from a theological standpoint see the world based upon one's relationship with God, or more precisely, God's relationship with the world. In psychology, however, where there is no acknowledgment of the existence of God, the worldview would be more accurately described as anthropocentric, meaning it is centered on human beings. For theology, the authoritative source of authority and information is God's revelation through the Bible. In psychology, one's observation of the data and then the interpretation of that data is the source for greatest authority. In theology, we speak of the human spirit as what makes us distinctly human and that we were created in the image of God. In psychology, we speak of the human personality as a way of summarizing the humanness or the human quality of a person. In theology, when things go wrong, when there is evil or brokenness in a person's life, we speak of sin. In psychology, we speak of illness or psychopathology. In theology, what we feel people need in terms of change is redemption 
and the transformation that comes through redemption. In psychology, we speak of recovery or health. In theology, the gradual process of growth and change is referred to as sanctification, the process of becoming more like Christ. In psychology, we speak about personal growth. Of course, in the ultimate end of Christian theology, there is the second coming of Christ, in which all things will be fulfilled in the mind and the purpose of God. In psychology, self-actualization with the individual person as the center of the universe is a reference point or the ultimate goal of all things. Congratulations, you've made it through the first week's lectures. I hope that you will now go digest this material along with your reading and ponder more about the need for and the possibilities we have in integrating the science of psychology and the faith of theology.